KYW Original Podcasts. This is a Flashpoint Extra. I'm Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at donors1.org. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited about this exclusive Flashpoint Extra interview. Seth Williams, remember him? He was the first black district attorney in the city of Philadelphia and in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And if you were in Philly, there was a time he could do no wrong. But in 2017, he pleaded guilty to accepting a bribe. He was sentenced to five years in federal prison, had to resign his position, give up his law license, and even lost his city pension. Seth spent three years behind bars as a federal inmate. I caught up with him just a few days after he got off of house arrest for this exclusive interview. Take a listen. First of all, how you doing? Outstanding. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be home. You you mentioned that you suffered a lot of loss <clears throat> over the past three years. What have you lost? Well, you know, I lost my public office. I lost my reputation. I lost my pensions. I lost my military career. I lost my house. I lost my law license. I lost my, um, you know, liberty. I lost time that I'll never get back with my daughters and loved ones. Um, And so that was very significant. You know, I made some uh, bad decisions and uh, I paid severely. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that there was like a transformational process that happened um, while you were away on what you call your sabbatical. Uh, And so during that time, you actually made some gains as well. Yeah, I tell people that, you know, I lost so much. But in hindsight, I and a very wise person told me that I gained so much more uh, than I lost from the experience. I grew uh, exponentially uh, spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. And um, I learned so much about myself Uh, through so much time of introspection. And I learned that really, after having lost so much, I learned that when God is all you have, God is all you need. And I am so thankful now for just little things, things that in the past I just took for granted. Um, And so I'm very fortunate and thankful just for the sun, to be able to feel the sun against my skin, the wind, the smell of bacon, Little things, just the sound of kids laughing in the park, um, the, the, the giggles of my daughters, um, you know, and I, for a while, of course, was very uh, upset um, with everything that I had lost. But over time, I began to really just appreciate uh, not those that maybe didn't want to stay in touch with me, but all the people that did. And so I've grown to learn that you know, depression and joy can't exist in the same space. And I have so much more to be grateful and thankful for. So I try to take and create lists throughout the day, a gratitude list. And if you're thinking about all the things that you can be grateful for, um, it'll hel- it helps me tremendously 
to change my perspective from thinking about those things that I lost to the things that I have, the things that I gained, the things that I can look forward to. So it's all in perspective. And I'm just very thankful for that opportunity. You know, I'll never get back that pension, but my life is ahead of me and I have to continue to look forward. And in doing so, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Um, I had in some ways a uh, almost a near-death experience without dying, without having to suffer traumatic injury to really take stock of life, to take stock of what's important, um, and hopefully to channel that energy and those energies in the right way moving forward um, to share my time uh, in much more positive and healthier ways. And then I no longer have to be concerned with what everyone thinks about me. I can be very uh, generous and just, uh, I believe, the authentic self that, that I should have always been. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And I just hope to uh, reintroduce myself to people and to share with them my new understanding and, and who I am now. Yeah. If you were to say, what did you learn about yourself? The most profound lesson you learned about yourself while you were there? Well, a lot of it is through sobriety and just learning how to deal with my own emotions. Um, and in the past, as a result of uh, previous trauma, as a result of the trauma in some ways of uh, being the district attorney, um, I masked my emotions uh, I masked them and I tried to deal with them in unhealthy ways, like, uh, you know, abusing alcohol, unfortunately. And uh, now I am much more in tune with my, my feelings and recognize when you have those feelings to deal with them and to talk about them and as opposed to trying to run away from them or to mask them. Um, and so, you know, I can cry now at the drop of a hat. Things make me emotional and it's okay. I took my daughters to the mall for the first time since 2017, and we were in line for pretzels. And that's something we used to do every time we went to the mall. And as I was standing there with my daughters, I just started crying. You know? And my daughters thought it was sweet and just gave me a hug. And so now I'm no longer afraid in some ways just to deal with my emotions, to talk about them. Uh, one of the greatest lessons that I learned was that I learned much more when I'm listening, to just be quiet and to listen to other people and that life is more about them and us than me. And um, so, you know, you could say that I learned those things uh, the hard way, but in hindsight, again, and I'm very thankful that I had that opportunity beginning when I was 50 and I'm 53 now. And I really look forward to living an authentic life as I move forward. Yeah. And when you think about the job of DA, because I don't think most people understand, why did you feel like you had to math yourself? Well, I had to try to project to everyone um, strength. Uh, I had to, you know, I had two blackberries and one of them went off every day with every homicide, uh, the, the, the gruesome details of everything that we consider to be the worst of the human experience. And um, I didn't know, I said, you know, I was prepared, I believe, strategically and operationally to be in charge of the criminal justice system in Philadelphia uh, and to interact with 
the, the police commissioner and the mayor and the governor and the, you know, all the, the apparatus that goes along with dealing with people that have been uh, victimized and people whose family members had been uh, murdered um, and trying to, in some ways, pass through to them, um, it takes a toll. And uh, I had to learn um, healthier ways to deal with that myself. You know, um, when you're on an airplane, the flight attendants tell you that when in case of emergency, an oxygen mask drop down to put the oxygen mask around yourself. And that's for a reason. You have to take care of yourself uh, and then you can help others. And, uh, you know, biblically, you learn that we ask God to comfort us, but it's not so that we can be comfortable. It's learning through pain um, that we can comfort others. And so I really believe that there is a redemptive value to suffering. Um, and so, you know, I spent time when I was away, I learned and I was a person that um, was called upon to help individuals that the professional staff thought were uh, at risk of attempting suicide. And I really learned that your friends, when they're in crisis, they don't need you to try to solve their problems. They just need you to listen. They need you to be present. And so I, I hope to be present much more uh, for loved ones and friends and people that just need someone to be present for them. Yeah. Um, and you, you think about it because you had, you mentioned those two Blackberries. Um, do you think a lot of other, more people probably are suffering in silence in that way? I think there are so many people that you see walking around the street and, you know, we have to really try to address the need for uh, mental health um, and to help people to solve their problems because many people are taking bombs and we just don't know what's going on with the person that's in line with you for coffee. Um, and so really it behooves all of us to try to be as kind and understanding as possible. And often in our society, we, we think of that as almost as a weakness, but it's a strength when you can uh, just listen to other people and be present for them. And, and that's something that I know I'm really working on. But now that I'm home, I mean, even when I was away, I would try to, you know, I stayed in touch with many of my friends who are in elective office in Philadelphia now and, and district attorneys around the country. And I would not talk to them about policy necessarily or, or their next election, but just how are they doing? Mm. You know, how do they feel emotionally? And most people are always out trying to help others often don't know how to talk to people about how they're doing. Um, and so I try to reach out to people, uh, elected officials here in Philadelphia who are on the news every day who are dealing with, you know, I saw my friend who was the managing director, the mayor, um, and other people, city council members, and would just say, hey, you know, if you ever just need somebody to talk to, somebody who's not going to be judgmental, somebody who's been through what you've been through, let's just talk. Um, and if I can, and you can learn anything from my experience about maybe how I handled some things uh, in ways that weren't the best or in ways that weren't the most healthy, uh, maybe you can learn from that and you can take a step back every now and then. I tried to focus on family and doing things and taking my children everywhere I was and making them a priority, um, but I could have done that even in a better way. And when I did face pressures of, you know, just the crime in the city and trying to solve problems, 
um, I could have handled those things in healthier ways. And now I think um, I've learned to do that um, in little ways. But it's just people often ask, well, how can we change the world? It's just, just one conversation at a time, one act of kindness with one person at a time. You know, we all don't have to come up with you know, the, the, the solution to some sort of uh, world peace or the solution to thermodynamics in some way, right? Some, some big crisis, just being kind and listening um, and helping people. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm just trying to do, just one day at a time, each conversation, each person that I meet as, at a time. Yeah. Do you have anything to say to the public? Because when they hear from you, do you have something you want them to know? Well, I, you know, was very thankful for the opportunity that the citizens of Philadelphia gave me um, and to those that I let down and to those who I wronged or hurt, I uh, asked for their forgiveness. For the people that I helped, I wish I could have done more. Um, and uh, to those that supported me uh, through thick and thin, I'm extremely grateful. And I just say that, you know, words I recognize are cheap and anybody can speak. And I just ask that for the remainder of my life, that I be judged on my actions and what I do uh, moving forward. And you know, again, I can't change the past. Uh, I'm very proud of many of the things that I did and that people that work with me did, but I recognize that I let folks down. Um, we talk in great detail about the whys and the who's and the, I'm not trying to argue any of those facts at this point. You know, the bigger picture is that I accept responsibility for many of my own personal decisions that I know um, and that I'm trying to be a better person and a more authentic person who I am, who I should have been. Um, and I don't have to, you know, at this point, you know, try to prove anything. I'm not uh, trying to tweet every day about, look at me, look at me. You know, I think that in some ways was very deleterious uh, to me personally, but I'm just very thankful to have had the opportunity really to just take a step back and to focus on my own physical health. I'm in the best physical shape of my life, uh, my spiritual health, um, and let's just move forward. Yeah. And um, as you move forward, um, you know, you, you have a few jobs. Uh, tell folks what you're doing. Well, you know, most important job is to try to be a good father at this point. Um, but I, I'm working for the Harrison Foundation. And uh, the Harrison Foundation, of course, was created to try to address uh, poverty in Philadelphia. And um, I was working for a while at a large box home improvement store, <laughs> uh, working there from 7 p.m. until 5.30 a.m. And uh, I also, maybe in many ways, most importantly, I work for the Philadelphia Anti-Drug, Anti-Violence Network. And we're trying to do all that we can to intervene with young folks to help them end lives of addiction and the uh, this destructive cycle of addiction that often leads to uh, crime, criminal behavior, and, and violence in our city and trying to interrupt those patterns and redirect young folks to uh, a healthier future through um, uh, training, for them through job training, through uh, life skills training, um, but also just a lot of folks just need someone 
to be present for them. And I tell folks that, you know, while I was a district attorney in Philadelphia, my father was a school teacher. He worked at a recreation center every night, ran a day camp in the summer. And I know that he did much more than I'll ever do to prevent crime. And so at this point, you know, I would like to really be more involved with teaching and trying to, if I'm going to use my professional experience and my own personal life journey, I think uh, for me at this point to help prevent crime and to reduce recidivism, uh, many ways, the best way is to help train people uh, for skills that will make them more uh, employable and to teach them the skills they need to not only get the job, right? I taught GED when I was away for more than two years. I taught interview and resume prep. And what I learned from my experience with so many men that were involved with the criminal justice system was that many of them, you know, even though they didn't have a law degree from Georgetown, were much more intelligent than I was. They didn't have a degree, um, but they had used their skills or their superpowers, you know, for the forces of evil as opposed to the forces of good. And a lot of them just needed to learn, hey, you got to show up on time. You know, you've got to do these things to keep a job. And so hopefully, as I move forward, I can help individuals learn how to get a job and how to keep a job, help them with anger management, conflict resolution, parenting skills, how to deal with uh, their addictions in, in healthy ways to deal with their underlying emotions. Because again, I spent a lot of time with people that were addicted to uh, meth, crack, heroin, and while I uh, abused martinis and Jack Daniels, um, we had different ways that we um, exhibited our addictions. Um, but really the underlying causes that people, some people are shopaholics, some people just eat too much, too many brownies. The underlying feelings that cause people to mask their emotions or to find ways to seek comfort in things that often are destructive are all the same, all people, all humans. And so um, hopefully I can share with people healthier ways that they can uh, deal with those things and move forward and be much more productive for society. One of the things uh, we had talked about was you, as prosecutor, do you think you saw people as individuals when now, you know, having been, uh, you know, a federal inmate, so to speak, you get a lot of time to individually see people in a different sure. way. Right. Was that a big change, like, in your mind? You know, I wasn't naive. I grew up in Cobbs Creek. I grew up in West Philly, so I knew, and I rode uh, SEPTA every day going to high school and then going to Penn State Abington. I, so I, I knew what was going on and I tried not to be judgmental. But yes, I did see some people as murderers. I saw them as people that stabbed people. I saw them as drug dealers. Um, and uh, as a result of my experience of close to 30, you know, close to three years um, living with people, I saw them more as people and got to learn why they made some of the decisions they made and why as a result of the lack of opportunity for many, they found themselves trying to do things to take care of their family. And so the people that were there, most of them were trying to do things that they thought that would take care of their family. And they just chose ways that uh, 
law enforcement and uh, society says, no, we don't want you to try to make money that way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so if they were doctors or pharmacists or lawyers or accountants or people that sold drugs on the corner, this, the criminal thinking errors, the errors that led them to uh, the federal prison um, were, were the same. Yeah. As if, same with the addictions. They just chose different ways to solve the problem. Um, and so now I think I have a, in many ways, a singularly unique perspective on the criminal justice system and think that uh, moving forward, we have to do all that we can to be much more restorative than punitive. We have to do all that we can to, of course, prevent crime, to help victims heal, to help address the issues that individuals that are caught up in the criminal justice system, help them get the skills they need uh, so that they don't repeat their crimes or other crimes. Um, and we can do all of those things at the same time while we save money. We don't need to incarcerate or have more, a greater percentage of our population incarcerated than any other country in, in the world. We can find smarter ways to uh, solve our problems. And I think it'll be much more uh, humane and at the same time, much more beneficial uh, to the individuals and to society as a whole. Yeah. Are you still processing all that has happened over the past three years? Because I know if you rewind back four years, right. uh, your life was totally different. Do you, right. Are you able to even process that? I, I think it'll, it'll, be, it'll be an ongoing uh, process for me to uh, take into account everything that happened. Um, and I'm just amazed every day when I bump into people. Um, I'm just, my heart is warmed by kindness of people that, you know, I originally thought, well, they've all turned their backs on me. No, a lot of people just didn't know how to get in touch with me. And people go out of their way now to welcome me and talk to me. And, you know, I think that has made a tremendous impact on me personally. And I know it does on a lot of other people who are away. And so we have to remain uh, connected and to send letters and emails to people that find themselves um, incarcerated. Um, not only, you know, we can't visit now because of COVID, but there's so much that we can do to remain connected. So I'm just very grateful. Yeah. Again, it'd be very easy to focus on all that I lost but it's much more beneficial and greater and much healthier for me to focus on all that I have, all that I gained, all that I learned, and to be grateful for the opportunity and to be grateful for um, you know, the ability to walk along Kelly Drive, you know, the ability just to smell the flowers here in Fairmount Park and to actually look at the skyline and to feel the sun on my face and the, the smell of bacon. You know, I keep coming back. This is the second time back. you talked about yeah. this weekend. Yeah. 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 You know, just little things, the, you know, cooking in the kitchen, mm. um, little things, the ability to turn the light off when you want to go to sleep. Um, just little things like that. Um, I am much more appreciative of, and I'll, you know, always remind myself um, and do things so that I don't take for granted again, those little things that, you know, in the end, it's the little things that are the big things. And they're the things that mean so much more than uh, some of the plaques and trophies and certificates. It's just the, the relationships that we build with people and 
continuing to nurture them. Yeah. I have to say, when we spoke, uh, you had these waves of emotion, like your eyes were glassy sometimes, and then sometimes right. you were smiling, showing me the ticket from the free golf right, game right, you had. Right, 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 right. It was just like, do these waves come? Yeah, but even when I was away, I began to really become much more um, in touch with my own emotions. Mm. And just the gratitude and the, the, you know, the, the feelings of just, I'm just so thankful for the blessings that I have. And yeah, so I can cry now at the, 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 the drop of a hat thinking about how wonderful things are. My mother passed away uh, May the 21st. And while I didn't have the opportunity to see her when I got home because of COVID and the nursing home, I got to talk to her and, and FaceTime and just, I'm just thankful um, for the opportunities that I did have. You know, I can be very upset and angry about things that I don't have, but I can't. All I can do is control the things that I have some power over. And it's even, it's even a, it's a false statement to think that you can control anything. Yeah. Um, I can only really control my own reactions and emotions to things. And I think at this point, I do them in a much better way. Yeah. And I just hope to, you know, share those things with whoever wants to listen and for me to listen to more to people, but to just reintroduce myself to the people that I care about and those that love me and to uh, move forward in a much healthier way. Yeah. And I got to talk to you about the first thing you did when you got off of house arrest. You were on house, home confinement, right? Correct. And you got out and you, they, they told you, you know what, you're free to, to go. Um, and you did something. Yes. What did you do? So, you know, I was on, I was incarcerated for 34 months. I came home, I was on home confinement for six months. I had an electronic monitor and could only leave wherever I was living um, to go to work. And, uh, you know, I couldn't leave until specific times and could only do those things. And my home confinement period ended on September the 30th. And I had learned just a week before that, that despite having a felony conviction, I could still vote. You might laugh and think, well, you were a lawyer. You were the DA. You should know these things. No, I didn't know. I thought that I had lost my right to vote. So on September the 30th, when my home confinement ended, first thing I did, I uh, got on SEPTA and I went down to City Hall and I registered to vote. And uh, that feels phenomenal to me. And I are 300,000 Philadelphians with criminal records. And I know many of them were not aware and are not aware that they can still vote. And so I asked everyone to visit votespa.com, philadelphiavotes.com, theharristonfoundation.org, and learn what your rights are learn where you can go to register to vote in person or at one of the multiple um, sites that the city has opened where you can register to vote, where you can early vote now, uh, just to create a plan for yourself to vote. You can do it in person on November the 3rd if you want. You can ask for a mail-in ballot if you want. Um, there's so many different ways, but I think whatever your issue is, and while I was in prison, Everybody had an opinion. Everybody wanted to talk about something that they wanted to change. Well, it's paramount and fundamental to our democracy for people to vote. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very easy now. 
Um, and it's so easy for all of us to do. And I just ask and beg everyone, regardless of your party affiliation and what your beliefs are, please go register to vote and vote. You know, uh, October you know, the 10th, go ahead. I wanted to ask you, did you know that, uh, first of all, you can vote if you, um, you know, had a felony conviction, but served your time in both New Jersey and Pennsylvania. But if you lived in Delaware, given the nature uh, of your underlying conviction, did you know you would not be able to vote? And, and I know how important voting is to you, having been elected and having heard the story of your family, your father, your mother, um, and all the different people you helped get elected. If you did not live in Pennsylvania, and there's a lot of people who don't live in states where that allowed them to vote, what would that, what would be your reaction if you couldn't vote? What would that make you feel? Yeah. Well, voting was always very important in my life. My parents, every time, you know, twice a year when they would go to vote, they took me with them. I tagged along. I went in behind those curtains and watched them exercise that right to vote. I worked on many campaigns throughout my life for other people, people I believed in. And uh, I took my daughters twice a year when it was time to vote. I took them behind those curtains with me. And so the thought that I could no longer vote really broke my heart. Yeah. And it would break my heart if I lived in a place where I couldn't vote. So I'm very thankful. Again, this is something that's on my gratitude list. I can vote. And there's 299,000 other Philadelphians that have that same opportunity. And I want them to all learn that they can vote, how they can do it, how easy it is, um, and that their vote matters. And often we've seen how just a few, one person at every polling place could have made the difference. And that could be whoever's listening to KYW right now. They can go register to vote and their voice will be heard. And it's important that they do that. And so I'm just very thankful that I learned. And again, this isn't about me. It's not about, no, it's never about Seth Williams again. It's just about the issue. Um, and this is one of them. And I think that it's very important for people to know that their loved ones who might have criminal records um, can vote. If you are currently awaiting trial and you're being held because you can't pay bail, you can vote by absentee ballot. If you were in jail and you were convicted of a misdemeanor, you can vote by absentee ballot. If you are home at a, a halfway house, you can vote by absentee ballot. Um, and the only people who can vote are if you are still serving your felony sentence or if you were convicted of voter fraud in Pennsylvania, you can't vote within four years of that conviction. But everyone else, doesn't matter what the crime was, mm -hmm. you have the opportunity, you have the right to go and exercise your franchise. And I just, you know, yeah. October the 10th of 1871, Octavius Cato yeah. Uh, a hero uh, in Philadelphia, who a statue was erected to him on the apron of City Hall. He was murdered trying to ensure the right to vote and to protect the right to vote that day uh, for African-Americans. And so for our ancestors um, and for future generations to come, I ask people just, you know, however you feel about any issue, go and vote. Yeah. And as we wrap up, I just, you know, moving forward, I mean, you... Uh, you're, you had, a, you know, you're, you're in the process, I would assume, of creating a new identity, so to speak. Yes. Because uh, you have one identity, DA, you know, Twitter on Twitter, DA Seth Williams, you think about, you know, the identity people slapped on you uh, after, you know, 
the controversy you had to live through and now you're creating and a who do you want to be Seth and, and, and how do you move forward? Who do you want to be now? Well, I'm just trying to be a, a humble servant. Um, I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a much more caring person and hopefully a person that not only knows, but will try to live out the teachings of Christ, um, you know, and how we're supposed to treat each other. And uh, those are the lessons that I learned while I was away that I tried to begin practicing daily uh, and to recognize while I'll never be perfect, I can strive to be the best person just right now, this hour, mm-hmm. you know, one day at a time and to try to make amends with people um, that I need to make amends with and to be the best person to everyone else, you know, as I move forward. And that's all that I can do. And I'm very fortunate that I no longer have to wear the mask of this guy that has to try to raise money for this cause or for this election or has to act this way and have canned responses for reporters when there's a tragedy, uh, this, that. No, I can just, you know, just be myself, be my authentic self. And hopefully I can do that in a humble way, but most importantly, in a way that maybe others can learn from my experiences, the good and the bad, um, and, and use them for purposes that are helpful. Yeah. And my last question, why did you want to, why were you willing to, to tell some of your story here? Why were you willing to do that? Well, you know, one of the things that I learned while I was away, you know, attending celebrate recovery meetings, attending, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings is that we often hear people and while the facts of their lives are much different, the underlying emotions are the same. And so I would hope that, you know, moving forward, anyone that wants to know might, you know, maybe my own personal story um, and how I, uh, through the grace of God, have overcome, you know, that might help some folks. And uh, while I was away, you know, there was a gentleman who just because he observed me and how I was dealing with what I was dealing with, he chose not to commit suicide. And that really was very powerful to me. And so I recognize that the world and life is much bigger than my own personal issues and what I perceive to be problems, um, but that there is a redemptive value for suffering and that. Uh, people can learn a lot from other people if they're willing. And so hopefully I can sit and talk with folks or uh, use my story in some ways uh, for other people as I continue to learn every day. You know, I told you I taught for more than two years while I was away, but I learned much more from the people that I claim to be teaching. They taught me a lot more, Uh, maybe not about the subjects of math, science, social studies, and reasoning through language arts, but they taught me a lot about life. And I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to learn from them. Yeah, I'll tell you, Seth, you are, it's very hard to be vulnerable and to come, to come back um, this way and to, to have this type of an intimate discussion. Most people kind of slink off and- Sure, sure. Like that, but you know, the fact that she's still standing, you know what I mean? Right, I right. think will help people. Because yeah. people go through stuff and they feel the shame and the shame can, can kill you. Yeah. You know? And uh, I am uh, much happier with the person that I am today. With all the, the man, 
Yeah, less light, all that stuff, yeah. Than the man that I was June the 29th of 2017. And while I was very thankful and grateful for all the opportunities that I had that led me to that day, and I'm thankful, um, I am, you know, I believe an even better person uh, than I was then. And I just hope that I can continue to, to do that and to be that person that I want to be as I move forward. Well, thank you so much, Seth Williams, for uh, sharing your story. Uh, and I wish you much luck um, in this new life. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been a Flashpoint Extra. Flashpoint is KYW News Radio's weekly public affairs show. It airs on 1060 a.m. every Saturday night at 930 and every Sunday morning at 830. You can subscribe to the podcast by logging on to the radio.com app, Apple Podcasts app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. You can also find us on the web at kywnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint. Uh, my thank you to Seth Williams for doing this exclusive interview with me and for being so vulnerable. Y'all, check it out. Share it. Until next time, I'm Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Thanks for listening.